Hello and welcome to the Creative Jungle podcast. I'm your host Sam and I'm Diana and we are all about bringing creativity to life and business. With each episode we'll be speaking to artists, entrepreneurs, innovators, creatives on how they live creative lives and bring creativity to their business. Let's begin. So today on the podcast, we have a very special and exciting guest, Tamsin Merchant. She's an English actress, best known for starring roles in Pride and Prejudice, The Tudors, Salem, and lately, Carnival Row, which we absolutely loved. And we were just saying how much we loved her character. (laughs) She also does loads of other creative things, which we'll find out more about. I feel like I'm in Hollywood right now. (laughs) Um, We're very excited to learn about how Tamsin got started, what the film and TV business is like, any tips she has for anybody looking to get into those businesses and what creativity means to her. So Mm. let's go. Hello. Good questions. Hi, guys. Hi, welcome. Thank so, you. Um, Thanks for having me. No, you're so, so welcome. We're so excited to have you. Um, thank you <laughs> for the time. Um, just for everyone um, hearing and listening, what do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're currently up to juggling the various mm. things you're doing? <laughs> well, I'm currently sitting on my sofa and my pajamas a lot which I think many people are doing yeah but but I'm at the same time I'm I'm working on my second book which is the sequel to my my book that's going to be published um in January so I'm Ooh. I'm working on book two um yeah and I am we're we're waiting for COVID to be okay to basically go back and film the last of season two of Carnival Row. So we have to film the last few episodes, but because of COVID, we've we've got a while to wait before we can do that. So writing a book, second book is killing, quote unquote, killing your time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Amazing. And yeah. what what's the first book about? Like we read about it um just a little bit before we got started. It just sounds so wonderful. The, the story <laughs> sounds so great. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit about what it's about? And- yeah, it's called The Hatmakers and it's set in Georgian kind of era London, but it's a magical version of London. And it's about this family of magical hat makers who make these hats with sort of enchanted ingredients that then, you know, you could put a hat on and suddenly be able to, you know, have a very witty conversation and you sort of all the great zingers would come to you because you were wearing like a special hat with, you know, a feather from a, a bird that tweets really sharp, clever things. Yeah. So it's like... Um, yeah, that kind of, it's that kind of thing that they, they put on their hat. So it's, um, <laughs> I'm not very good at explaining my book. I need to get better at this. Really. <laughs> but, um, it's basically about Cordelia Hatmaker, who is this 11-year-old girl who um, goes on this adventure and has to ultimately make this very magical hat that will save a war if she makes it right and gets it on the right royal head in time yeah absolutely amazing where did the inspiration come from I have to ask really weirdly it actually came from a dream that I had when I was shooting Carnival Row season one um the costume department was so amazing um in Carnival Row and they kept on talking about um having to make a special hat for David Jesse, who plays Agraeus. He has these horns and he, his character is the most, you know, beautifully dressed character in the whole show. And he has a special hat um, that was made to fit on his horns. Yeah. So um, he plays a fawn <laughs> to anyone yeah, wondering why I'm at. massive horns, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the hat, they were talking in the costume department about this hat maker and then that night I had this dream and I woke my boyfriend Barney up at half past four in the morning this dream and I was like Barney I've just had a dream about magical hat makers (laughs) and he was like write it down 
okay so I was like okay then I wrote it down I was so enthusiastic about it I wrote it down and then I thought I'd been thinking about trying to write a book to kind of see if I could do it Mm. and I thought maybe that that's the kind of that's the kernel of the idea for the book so I started writing wrote a draft that was like really, really bad. Yeah. And then, and then Did I was you know like, it was going to be for children or yeah. You know, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think because it was, yeah, the way the book kind of came in the dream, it was, it was like appeared as a fully formed book in the dream. Wow. Yeah. It was really weird. But then, you know, there was like two years of trying to write it and make it good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like it came as a dream, but then I had to put a lot of legwork in to make it a reality. Yeah, but uh, that's amazing. It's like you had a little spark of inspiration and you yeah. didn't have to take that and run with it to set it alight. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so yeah, I think it would be quite disheartening for people to hear like, oh, I just had a dream and now I've got a book, but it's like, yeah. no. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was steps. easy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And when, when you got the first draft, is that when you, were, you started showing it to, I guess, um, potential editors and publishers being like oh I have this idea you know Um, does this work or no I I wrote the first draft and it took me several months and then I read it again after about a month off and I was like oh no that's not what I (laughs) that's not what I'm trying to do and so I just basically started it again from scratch and then that draft about six months later was the draft that I sent to the amazing lady who is now my agent, my literary ah, agent. Amazing. Yeah. So it took me two full drafts and then rewriting as well on that, on the second draft to actually then feel okay to send it to an agent. So it was a very long process. Yeah. Um, and I was learning oh all the time. And I'm still definitely learning. Learning. Book <laughs> two. Yeah. Out of interest, just on that, did you have a routine for writing it? Mm. As in, did you go every Friday, two hours, I'm going to write a bit? Or did you get bursts of kind of inspiration and do it then? That's a good question. And actually, one of the things that I found in the process of writing it was I kind of created this structure that works for me, which is when I had a day off or days off in a row, I would basically do three hours a day of writing, generally in the morning. And I would always set um, a timer on my phone for 45 minutes. And then I would just put the timer on, put my phone on the other side of the room, turn the internet off, which is one of the keys for creativity, I believe. (laughs) That's actually a really good tip. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then phone on the other side of the room, timer for 45 minutes. And I would sit down and I would write and I do that four times a day. Um, so for three hours a day, and then that would be it. After I'd done my my three hours, I'd have the rest of the day to do with what I wanted. Um, and I found that actually I was most creative when I kind of made for myself a space in which to play at the work, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I I imagine that there are some people who create in a kind of Picasso-like tempest of you know, energy and that's fueled by pure kind of creative impulse. Yeah. But I find like if I did that, I would do it maybe once every two weeks and then burn out. And then after another couple of weeks, I had to like get back to it. Yeah. It feels like a daily practice and making daily room in my schedule to do it was the way that I could actually do it in a way that yeah sustainably exactly Mm -hmm. so and I know that loads of people probably don't have the luxury of that time Mm. because I as an actor I have like a lot of time off (laughs) (laughs) yeah you have tons of time on and off yeah yeah exactly and even shooting Carnival Row like um, the way that that show shoots is that there's lots of days off and there's then there's like an intense period of a couple of weeks on and then a couple of weeks off. So I was mm-hmm. able to have yeah time to sustainably every day come to my come to my laptop and 
do my timer and turn off the internet. <laughs> Those are the and things just that focus. That's yeah. really yeah. I think that's so great to hear you say because it's exactly that. I think the the bursts of creativity that a lot of people see or you see in kind of general media mm. oh I have this idea and then I'll work on it for like two weeks and then it'll be this amazing book and mm. then what well, I've kind of made it of creating yeah. this thing while the reality is just <laughs> Sam's favorite quote chip away <laughs> he literally yes. says that to me all the time but it is about <laughs> chipping away at something yeah. um yeah consistently the routine mm. I saw a little video from the BBC archives of Roald Dahl. He used to always go into his garden shed every day, well, five days a week, did four yes, hours, five maybe days. five hours, sharpened his six pencils, had all his stuff and just sat there and kind Oof. of became great. And if he wrote, brilliant. If he didn't, fine. But at least yeah. just a routine of kind of doing it um, primes you to for things to flow eventually. Mm, so interesting, yeah. All oh, rolled well with his six pencils in his shed. That is, so, that is so lovely. Yeah, yeah. oh my nice God. image, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, um, thinking up the worst adults in literature. Yeah, exactly. Oh, such good, <laughs> terrible adults. Them, but <laughs> the drawings that accompany them just really make you... Oh, they're so grotesque and brilliant, aren't they? Yeah, they're him. so good. Um, yeah, I think you like build a house brick by brick brick and you yeah. you can build a book the same way yeah. and it doesn't sound like very romantic but I think I think in our in our age right now you know we've got social media that kind of we're used to seeing people's highs and not really seeing mm. the the unglamorous kind of daily grind that can go into some of the the best books that you know you and I have ever read so yeah um, I'm not claiming that my book is going to be one of the best. No, wow. Planting the seed. But yeah, yeah, so I think I think we're used to this this thing of like this image of a kind of romantic, it's often tortured artist. But I think a lot of what I've come to understand about my own version of creativity is that it's a daily practice, practice. and it's mm. yeah, yeah, and that makes me feel good, and it makes me feel like you know every day I've got something. I've got some time that's kind of special for that. Yeah. And then also yeah, yeah, I have time yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. And leading in from yes. that, I know you've spoken about your inspiration for your book, but um, before we switch into your kind of film career, but where do you get your inspiration from in general? Like what inspires you? Is it, is it the work that you do and feeding that across your different projects or <laughs> is it the people you meet? Yeah. Well, Honestly, I feel like a bit of a magpie creatively and in, from an inspiration point of view. Mm. I think it's really about, um, obviously from the hat makers, my inspiration was from that dream that was kind of brought about by being in this amazing costume department. Mm. Um, but I think as well, I mean, I've heard like... I've heard stories from other people that have just sparked something. And then, you know, often I'll, I'll save something for a really long time and kind of write it down in a notebook. Mm. I definitely think keeping a notebook is a great way to. Do you have one with you always just in your bag to jot? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And it's very tatty and it's very kind of, you know, dogged and I've always got a pen and a notebook. And I think just little something that, that makes you kind of sit up and take notice or that sparks something, Mm. you never know what it's going to be, but it's all like, yes, you're like collecting treasure, like a magpie. Mm. and yeah. some of the stuff will be like bits of tinfoil and some of them might be like <laughs> proper nuggets of gold so yeah. Yeah, yeah I really love that I really love that phrase treat treat your ideas like gold yeah be a magpie collecting those <laughs> shiny things because yeah. you don't know where it'll take you I really like that idea um yeah so in terms of your switching to film and TV, so uh-huh. everyone who was listening, I met Tamsin ages ago to a <laughs> friend that I was in school with yeah. um, before before you started your film career. Yeah. And then on the onset of it, which was really exciting. And I remember, <laughs> you t- I remember being in, in your house, um, in your living room with your parents and you were saying, oh, I've just done this. I think you just done the audition or something um with pride and prejudice yeah do you want to say how how you jumped into that career and then also mm. what made you stay mm. and pursue it yeah oh, that's a good question because I think maybe some people that do 
have a taste of acting find it quite maybe quite weird and (laughs) quite kind of strange but I mean I just loved it from the first go yeah I mean I always loved doing acting at school um, and I was lucky enough to go to a school where we put on lots of plays and lots of um, kind of, there were drama classes you could go to and drama clubs and that was really amazing. Um, So that was a great privilege. But I basically got into Pride and Prejudice because I was reading the novel of Pride and Prejudice for the first time and um, when I was 17. And there was an article in the paper about how Keira Knightley was going to play the lead in, in a new adaptation. And it wasn't like a casting call or anything. It was just like a piece of, of information. And I thought, well, I want to be in that. So I found out who the casting director was Um that is where the internet does come in useful. But I, I, <laughs> I found out. School. That's amazing. You were like, yep, this is what I'm going to be in. Okay. Yeah, I was a detective. Um, and I found out that Gina J, who was one of, I later realized and discovered that Gina is one of the industry's most ferocious and, you know, respected and feared casting directors. And I called her office, like cold called her office. Yeah. And asked if I could audition for this film and they're like who are you <laughs> and you're like I'm Tamsin Georgina <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I ended up that. I faxed them a, a photo of myself because they, they needed to see a headshot but I didn't have a headshot so I just faxed them it was still in the age of faxing. Oh, exactly. <laughs> good lord um 2004 was um yeah, the age of the facts. But I, so I faxed them a photo of myself and they called me in to audition for a part and they didn't tell me what and they didn't even give me any audition sides or anything, but they, they called me in and I went up with my mom on the train to London and did this audition. And then a day later, they called me again and they were like, we want you to come to London to meet the director. And wow. yeah, and I was in school. And um, so I bunked off school and took my sister out of her maths class, I think. Yeah, was, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and took her with me um, because my parents were like, out of town or something. And they, mm. um, they couldn't, my mum had taken me the first time and she couldn't take me. So we, me and my sister bunked off school and went to London to do this audition with Joe Wright. Um, and then I didn't hear anything for like two weeks and I just thought it was gone. Um, and then I did a final audition. They called me, I did a final audition and then I got, I got the part, which was, yeah. How did that feel going from like, oh, I've just had this notion. And I mean, it's actually more than I've just had this notion, but you know, you had this again, spark of an idea, Mm. followed it through. And then, and then suddenly it becomes reality. How did that feel? It was very bizarre. It was was very bizarre. And it, it was like, it, it was interesting because it suddenly just blew my world quite wide open, really. Mm. Um, I went from, you know, being quite an anxious sometimes, you know, quite kind of, um, quite sort of, you know, worrying about the usual things that 17-year-olds worry about yeah. to suddenly, you know, I was on a, on a in a film set, you know, playing a role opposite people who... I'd seen on cinema screens. Yeah. And yeah. It was really, People who really were huge. I mean, yeah. huge now, huge then, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was an actual, yeah, Hollywood movie. It was very strange. They announced it in school assembly and half of the drama club kids didn't talk to me anymore. After no, that. really? <laughs> yeah. I love that weird. they announced it in the school assembly. But that's awesome. It was they, surely they'd be like, uh, what did you do? This is amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I think the thing I, I love about actors and can also be deeply frustrating is that we can be so, we can have each other's backs or from quite a young age, we can just see each other as competition. competition and, yeah. yeah, it can be a little bit, a little bit strange, I think. Yeah, but, it yeah. is strange to see each other's 
competition when the, I guess yeah but I can we just think I guess from like a business mindset now it's like collaboration is everything because yeah. you can't get you you don't take yourself ahead you don't go ahead by yourself you know there's a whole village behind you yeah you know, as you said your mom coming to the audition your sister mm. you know maybe the the car the person who got your photo thinking yeah I'll just submit this anyway yeah you know, there's a whole host of people behind you um that's so, so it true yeah it feels strange hearing from like a um and we've thought this as well you know sometimes in in the creative industry it is always maybe there's a little bit more about competition rather than collaboration it's a bit of a shame yeah yeah it is I definitely think we work best when we're all kind of what's that saying if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far and go together exactly yeah I really think that that's true because you do there's definitely films where or even I guess like Quentin Tarantino as an example he tends to use the same kind of actors and actresses Mm -hmm. so like there is there can be that where people kind of bunch together they enjoy working together and then they produce an awful lot more yeah definitely can be helpful yeah I think when you find your people as well like when you find people that you love working with and inspire you and challenge you like that's the sweet spot really yeah as an actor as a director or a writer like yeah yeah I think have you started finding your people that you're like oh actually we can work on this project or try Mm. things out together yeah very much yeah that's so cool yeah it's like things in the making (laughs) I can't wait to see them Um, Uh, this this kind of brings us on nicely to the next Mm. question which Mm -hmm. is for anyone listening who wants to work in film Mm. and tv what advice would you give to get started and you've kind of given lots of really good examples already and also just on the business side Mm. There are obviously two different beasts. There's the creative performing side and then the business side. So any kind of general hints and tips there will be pretty yeah. good. I wrote a couple of little notes down, actually. Um, nice. Um, yeah, I thought, so I think something that's really good to get started and to take, well, to get started and to kind of try and thrive mm. um, in in acting and film and TV is to try like, you know, to try and make your own luck. Mm. Um, like I did with, you know, with calling the casting director. I mean, I I don't know what, I genuinely like that to me was a moment in my life that was an absolutely pivotal moment. Like I do not know where I would be now in, in the world or in life, if I hadn't done that. Yeah. Um, so, cause I didn't go to drama school. I didn't kind of do any of the kind of very traditional routes into acting. I just went bizarrely took a weird little shortcut. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'd say try to make your own luck and to make your own opportunities and also make your own projects. Like mm. do write something for yourself. If you're an actor and there's a role that you want to play that doesn't exist, write it and mm. and then write draft two it's definitely yes. something I've learned <laughs> yeah. uh, write draft two improved, yeah. yes exactly and 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 ask for ask for um advice and mm. opinions and don't take it all but take take stuff that means something to yeah. you and, and that sort of speaks to you mm. um I would say try to grow your resilience without growing cynical. Um, love that. Nice. I really, really love that. Yeah. Mm. Cause I think it's very, and I've been through periods where I've kind of grown a bit of a harder shell because sometimes that's the way to survive. But I think shedding cynicism and shedding entitlement have been two of my, my, my greatest like allies in mm. and greatest paths um that I'm still you know I think it's it's kind of you, you got to stay in constant balance with it rather than yeah. just shedding it once and being like oh I'm done with that <laughs> I think <laughs> I think yeah um shedding cynicism and entitlement and and working for every opportunity and trying to earn it rather than just feel like you should be given something yeah that's I really really, really love that I think that's just I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I've heard, actually, shedding um, cynicism and shedding mm. entitlement because and that being a continuous process, because mm. that that 
definitely happens to everyone. You get something and you're like, yeah, I'm so on it, all over it. I'm going to get this next thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't, maybe, maybe you get that and then you maybe don't get the third and then you don't get the fourth and you're like, oh, is that it? Am I over? You don't go thinking, you know what? No, I just need to work for it. Mm. We'll come. And actually, I don't deserve. I don't deserve everything I go for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that there are other people with other stories who who deserve things, and and that there are lots and lots of deserving people. Yeah, yeah. and that actually, some of it's luck, some of it's um, taste of of the people choosing. Mm, um, mm. But then I think one of the things that helps you navigate through that is making your own stuff. Yeah. Um, because then you become the chooser, you become the person in charge of, mm. of yourself. And also then you start making decisions about who else to bring on mm. into your project. And so it gives, it certainly gave me a, a greater understanding of the whole industry. When I started making short films, I, I started to understand, mm. you know, th- I got a much fuller picture because I was just seeing it from my actor's point of view of being like, but I'm, I was good in that audition. Why didn't you give it to me? And then yeah. it's, you know, yeah, absolutely. you start to see it all. Yeah. The, the full picture. And did something happen? It sounds like there was like a, a point where that kind of struck you. Then you realize, okay, I have to a shed my sense of entitlement and B start working and creating my own projects. Did something happen that you can tell us a little bit about and then yeah how that really sparked you making your short films I think I had a period of depression actually that yeah I mean it's it's actually one of the best things that's ever happened to me yeah in the sense of that it helped me coming out of it gave me so much so much more of a rounded view of of people, of human beings. Yeah. And, and also I think it allowed me to kind of be okay with, with being imperfect and being and failing in at times. And I think that that is, I think not being afraid of failure is also really key because I think if you're afraid of failure, then you're, then perfectionism starts to creep in and when that starts creeping, then you can't really, then you get kind of locked in a stasis because you can't do anything in case it's not perfect. And then it's just, then it's like, Duck. yeah, then you are, you have poured concrete on around your legs. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to walk somewhere. So yeah. I think that the period of depression was actually a really, it was very transformational. I think that periods of low, of kind of, yeah, of, when you've got low energy and low self-belief, then when you come out of it, when you get yourself out of it, mm. then that's actually a really, you learn so many things about yourself, about yourself. Yeah. And what you want to say and, and what, what's important to say mm. and also what to maybe, what, what you valued when you were, were down there and what like was the North star that led you out of that place. Mm. So I found definitely that that was a great moment of transformation. Wow. That sounds like it. And I've never, I've never heard somebody saying coming out of depression being a transformational period, but it completely, I can, I can imagine that it is definitely Mm. from going to that and then bringing yourself out. And what, what, what was your North star that helped lift you? Oh, that's a good um, question. I think feeling like I wanted to tell stories of hope Mm. um, and, and feeling like there was that, I wanted to to tell stories of like affirmation mm. and of human um, courage, mm. um, and and feeling that that stories are worth telling. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I think I think feeling like I wanted to to tell stories of, of hope and, and and courage and affirmation and yeah. and yeah, that's. So, think, so would I be right in saying kind of finding your purpose? I guess kind of that this is what I'm here for. I can actually help spread these messages and spread hope. So I need to kind of get out there again. And yeah, yeah, it is a purpose and a kind of, 
um, you kind of feel a bit reborn really coming out yeah. of, um, I felt a bit like, so I've heard, I've heard this about butterflies recently. So mm-hmm. there's a, you know, you're a caterpillar, right? Imagine you're a caterpillar. Then you do all, you eat all the leaves and then you make a chrysalis around yourself. And then I didn't know this. You turn into goo and you turn into like a bunch of goo that's called, and the cells that you're made of when you're goo are called imaginal cells. Imaginal cells. Yeah. Imaginal cells. Okay. And then those cells could become anything. Anything. Yeah. Well, Anything, well, any part of the butterfly. Any part of the, yeah. Not like, <laughs> not like, not like Iron Man or something. <laughs> yeah. Although that would be a probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. But those cells, those imaginal cells, when you're goo, can become any part of the butterfly. So it could become a wing or a little antenna thing or, you know, the thorax or like whatever Mm. other bits of butterflies there are so those imaginal cells and I feel like having that time as as in my own life I felt like like a little chrysalis full of goo Mm. um in my depression I um I felt like there was transformation in that and coming out of it made me realize what was important And what's important is telling stories with meaning and heart and courage and working with people who I believe in, telling stories that I believe in. Just a note on our sponsors who brought you this podcast. MYO Make Your Own runs over 14 different arts and crafts workshops, both online and offline. We also make creative how-to content for brands. Check out at MYO London for more details. Creative Jungle Company produces lots of creative kits for friends, families, companies and events. This podcast and also shares lots of learnings on creativity and creative thinking and how they could be helpful for you. Check out creativejunglecompany.com for more details on that. Back to the podcast. So much of this relates to kind of startups and entrepreneurship like you are definitely an entrepreneur really the way you've gone about everything there's been highs and lows and real persistence um yeah there's definitely tons of overlap Uh, yeah absolutely interesting yeah no absolutely because you know um as you just said being an actor making your own luck making your own projects is the same as Mm. starting a business you're making your own luck you have to make your own projects you have to find Mm -hmm. your own plans you have to create that team you know you're managing you're managing yourself you're managing the business of Tamsin Merchant (laughs) in her various ways it's it's the oh, same. That's so cool. I've never thought of myself as an entrepreneur before. Yeah, Thank you're you. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. and, and even, yeah, the way you created the short films as mm. your project to, to start telling stories. Um, mm. Was it, uh, was it to, to build up a career as a director or was it just, a, was it an outlet? Is it? Kind of both, both. actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I was shooting this show called Salem. Um, and I was shooting it in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is um, a very interesting little town in northern Louisiana. It's very far away from a lot of places that I know. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and there are some of the best people that I've met are from there. Aww. Just like some of the loveliest people. Yeah. Um, and one of my very precious friends who I met there, Cam Owen, um, was working on the show and he and I, we did season one and then we were like, we need to make something. We need to tell a story. You know, we need to make a short film. So we, um, we made a short film in, in season two of shooting Salem. So it was actually partly because it was Shreveport where we shot was so far away that I couldn't ever go home. It was like a 10 hour flight home. Oh my so goodness. I was there for five months. Yeah. Um, and I had like a lot of days off. So partly again, a bit like with the acting and with the writing a book, I, I direct and made this and directed this short film to see if I could do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like, I like approaching creative things just like to see if I can. It's like testing your skills. It's flexing your muscle. That's exactly Mm. what it is. Can I lift this? Can I do this project? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And Mm. also I think what happens when you do it with this kind of curiosity, 
is you have this thing which is called beginner's mind, which I'm sure you guys have heard of. And you sort of don't approach it with a sense of having anything to prove, like to back up something you've previously done because you've never done it. So it doesn't matter if you fail at it spectacularly because you're a beginner and that's what beginners can do. You know, we can't all be like Torval and Dean the first time we go on an ice rink. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, So you can kind of afford to fall on your ass if you want to, if you, you know, if you do and Mm. and it's okay. Mm. And you can also see things from a, a new light you don't have a preconceived view of this is how it should be done mm. you just kind of I want to do it so I'm going to try it this way <laughs> yeah exactly and then you do it yeah mm. and then you can probably you're not kind of weighed down by some of the more traditional ways of going about things yes yeah, yeah so, definitely yeah. and are the short films being are you working on them some more are they are you pushing them or or actually is the book and Carnival Row the current focus? Yeah, at the moment, mm-hmm. um, I've made four short films. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, I'm doing yeah. book two um, and Carnival Row. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of focusing on those. But then I'm next year, I'm really looking forward to doing, doing some, some more directing yeah nice and how does it work with the short films sorry how does it work with the short <laughs> films is it you you do one and then it runs for um a certain time period and then you, you know I don't know how does it work yeah you you basically they're interesting making short films I found really fun so I made three with Cam and then I made one in, in Shreveport and then I made one in um actually made two in in England um and one was filmed at MYA which was yeah. so, so fun yeah, I know I know it's so cool it we was live so in Peckham cool. now so. I do yeah. amazing oh, Peckham's not so in the cool. studio I should say <laughs> oh, it's a very cool place Peckham yeah it is really fun really creative I have a question oh, and the answer here is probably no but I'm just wondering because you do so many different creative things, do you mm. think because you've gone a little bit of an unconventional route in terms mm. of you didn't do the drama school, you kind of made your own opportunity almost and kind of got mm. into it then. Do you think because you've done that, it's given you the confidence to do a real mix of creative things? As in like, do you see people that have gone down maybe to drama school route and they just, they box themselves as being, mm. I'm a director or I'm an actor and that's kind of it. They don't look at all the possibilities um I'm not that's a really good question I'm not sure I think it I think it can really depend on the individual I a lot of great actors who I know have been to drama school and like given it their three two or three years of like very impressive and in-depth study um and I'm I find that very um um, sort of impressive and very admirable. Um, I I wouldn't really be able to um, speak to how that sh- might shape their thinking because I'd probably offend Rada. Yeah, one must never offend Rada. No, no. I'm just afraid of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I wouldn't I wouldn't know about that, but I think that from my perspective, approaching I've approached stuff generally with a kind of just just a willingness to try and a willingness yeah. also I don't really mind looking stupid, mm. as you may have noticed while mm. watching Imogen Spurrows <laughs> on Carnival Row. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think um approaching my my personal approach has just been yeah not a traditional at all I don't have any uh like a pedigree as an actor mm. that that a lot of drama school actors have so yeah it's an interesting question mm. um but I I fear the response of the yes yeah, so no, 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 that's yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah I was just partly thinking from, from partly from the startup stuff where when you make your own opportunities you can mm. feel like anything is possible mm. because you're like Oh God, I have this big client over here. I can do this over here. It just gives you a lot of confidence. Yeah, that's super um, cool. Yeah, mm. Just hypothetical. Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I would agree with that a little bit. You kind of, but maybe actually before I used to see as, yeah, you know, like when I wrote the book, that was just an idea I had. And I thought, oh, this will be a really 
good project to do. And then where I was working, I was put on furlough. So I had time. So I was like, great. Mm. You know, MYO was closed. So I was like, great. Um, and I just did it because I thought, oh, let me follow this idea through. But yeah. I, and I and and Sam before had said, oh, it's because, you know, you've set up a business. So you you feel empowered, i.e. whatever idea I have, I can I can make it come to life mm. but I think actually what you said about following your cu- following curiosity mm. is mm-hmm. also actually a part of it can I actually even do this um, yeah and I think maybe those two in tandem it's like I reckon I can but can I actually do <laughs> yeah and also I guess it, to your point Sam I think um what's interesting as well is that we you know you guys have made MYA with kind of with a with like wide horizons and yeah. there haven't been and for me as an actor my horizon has been wide in the sense that I haven't been given a set of tools or traditions that I have to feel like I have to adhere to in order to be legit yeah so sometimes I feel like I'm not legit as an actor yeah. because I don't have that kind of that pedigree exactly yeah, yeah behind me but also f- for me I personally, and it's very personal, don't want someone else telling me how to play. I feel a bit like sometimes certain things, and again, it just is so personal. So I wouldn't want to speak on a broad way, but for me, I mean, you get acting coaches that sometimes come and Mm. hang around on set and tell actors a lot, a lot of how to, or they, they, have sort of this interesting um relationship with actors that I I've seen where it feels it looks to me from the outside and I'm sure it's not mm. I mean, possibly would feel to me <laughs> I'm really disclaiming the shit out yeah, of this, it's <laughs> yeah. this is a disclaimer <laughs> um yeah. but for me I don't want a set of like rules of how to play yeah and how to create that is yeah. the that's the kernel that's the nub of it really yeah, yeah. So kind of yeah. stay true to yourself I guess and then yeah. yeah and I'd rather make my own mistakes than allow someone else to tell me that I'm not allowed to do certain things I'd yeah. rather find out myself in a way yeah. and, and and have somebody's biases filter into how mm. you and to how you play I love that I don't want somebody's rules telling me how to play that is a <laughs> that is a frameable quote Tandy. oh wow ever going you. to merchandising <laughs> that is a poster embroider that on a pillow <laughs> yeah embroider that on a pillow a wall hanging a million percent oh wow oh, nice it's very good and We've talked a lot, like loads of, actually, no, I was going to ask about your highs. We talked a little bit about your, but what, oh, what, yes. what crazy highs have you had in your now multifaceted career um, um, that have just really struck you? The first being the phone call. <laughs> yeah, the phone call was yeah. a massive high of getting, you know, of of yeah even actually making that phone call um to the person to the casting director was amazing but then getting the phone call that I got the part was just like that was me my life fully changed that was a sort of sliding doors moment um having someone tell me that they want to publish my book was just I mean unbelievable really so um that to me I think I wanted to publish a but or to, to write a book really since I could hold a pencil really so um that to me was was huge yeah because um, you studied English didn't you yeah English yeah. literature yeah. yeah English literature yeah yeah and education studies so oh, there we go yeah yeah um so that was massive and for me like the sort of more the highs come from um getting to work with actors who I love going onto set every day on a job like Carnival Row to act opposite you know like Andrew Gower and David Jesse and Tracy Wilkinson like my core troop on that show and that to me is like an like an everyday gift when I'm when I'm working um that's amazing that sounds so lovely. I have to ask because I, I have no idea how it works. But say, for example, with Carnival Row, 
What is that like? As in, okay, we're going to shoot next week. How long does it take? How long are you typically on set? How much readings are there before you start filming? If you could give a flavor of that. Oh yeah, of the process to the, to the layman, to the everyday <laughs> person. <laughs> okay, let me let me try because it's quite a. It's at the moment filming is obviously um, suspended because of COVID, but yeah. for, for season one. We shot in Prague for five months um, and I got cast about two months before we started filming. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the scripts, we did eight, eight episodes um, and a day of filming would be, I'd get picked up at like 5 a.m. And we'd be on set from eight till eight. So 12 hours. So 12 hours on set. Yeah. But then I, you get picked up. So you're filming for 12 hours, but you get picked up like three hours before that because you've got hair, makeup, costume and rehearsals and stuff. So yeah, it's usually like a 14, 15 hour kind of work day when you're filming and that'll be five days a week. Um, and then in the evening, do you just literally eat and go to bed? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I no. thought you just party though. Yeah. <laughs> All day. Nine. Yeah. <laughs> 15 hours of filming and nine hours of partying. So oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And it would, it will be like, you'll film about three or four pages a day. Um, ah, really? Yeah. Which is quite actually even that would be quite a a lot. Sometimes you you could film a page or two a day. Serious of, of script, yeah. Of script. So there's a lot of takes from lots of different. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah next time I'm doing something, you guys should come along and see. Yeah, it. I would love yeah. to see just that, a like live pure process. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> live on set. <laughs> oh my god! Is, is yeah. scheduling a big thing then? As in for parts. Because if it's five months and you get two months notice, does that often happen where you're committed to something and you're like, oh, I can't yeah. do it? Because- yes. And that's where my agent comes in as well. Like um, th- there'll be a point, you know, when you get a job like Carnival Row, they have this thing called options, which is basically that they get to keep you on the hook for season two, season three, season four, like as they go along. Yeah. Um, so they get you... Um, to sign this option agreement, which basically means that they get first dibs on you. And that's really hard sometimes because you sign a a contract and it's a huge, exciting job. But then when they're deciding whether or not to make the next season of the show, then you've got months sometimes where no one else can hire you because they can't insure you in case Carnival Row comes back Back. and then they lose you halfway through their filming schedule so yeah that's a proper it's an interesting like it's a wonderful wonderful thing to get a job on such an amazing show like Carnival Row but there's a kind of flip side sometimes to it and I had the same on Salem it's the same on every every tv show yeah Um, so yeah it's it's an interesting one especially I guess when and I imagine it's not well, probably le- more often than not, the seasons haven't been confirmed. Like how far yeah. they want to take the yes. story, so actually you don't really know. Whether- yeah, exactly. And that's where coming—that's where like coming up with your own stuff or writing a book or something really becomes quite essential to your sort of artist soul because Mm -hmm. if you're just waiting for the phone to ring that to me saps a lot of creative energy and a lot of you know of excitement so yeah yeah it's an interesting balancing act sometimes between Mm, no definitely but what again I think you've just said a really golden nugget there just (laughs) oh have I yeah just (laughs) about yeah you know that waiting Mm. waiting for something to happen to you Sap mm. your creative energy. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't wait, but in that meantime, mm. there's so much you can do with your talents at all following your curiosity. Yes. That exactly. I often say to people who are feeling frustrated by their acting career that they should also take up something else that they love, that they have control of. So I actually, when I was having a bit of a fallow period um, a while ago, I um, I started doing a garden design course. Oh, 
No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. And I did a whole year of it at a local, um, a local college in mm. Sussex, in Plumpton. And is, oh. yeah, it was so good. And I learned how to design gardens and I learned a lot about plants. And because I was kind of fulfilled in that way by that, I wasn't so like desperate to get an acting job. And then I got one that took me to America for three years. So it's like a very, you know, I think when you can, when you can fulfill as much of your creative soul as, as you can with things under your own control and that you can power yourself, Mm -hmm. then those opportunities when they come along, you know, you're kind of, you're all almost more energized for them and you're more confident for them as well. Yeah. And as you said, you're not, I don't like using the word desperate, but you're not desperate for them because Mm. you have have that sense of fulfillment and then you can look at those opportunities a bit more objectively. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Definitely from a kind of self-esteem point of view. And, Mm. but also I think if you, if you can, you know, financially be in a position and it's, it's hard as an actor, but like to be, to take a job because you want to, not because you have to also gives you more confidence. So yeah. 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 I can imagine that. Yeah. Balancing act. Next question. And this is not on the one that I have written down, but say in 20 years time, Uh what would you like to be doing? As in, would you still like to be in lots of acting? Would you like to have 10 books published? Would you like to direct a lot of films? Like what's the kind of 20 Yes to all three. Yes to all. Everything. I want it all. Yep. (laughs) Yes. All of the above. Um, Yeah, I I would. I would. I think um, I really admire people who can who can have multiple strands and kind of sustain them. Like Emma Thompson is yeah. my absolute idol um, for her brilliant talent as, you know, a writer and an actor. I think she's yeah. fantastic. And she's, she's done all of the, she's done, you know, those things really beautifully and really well with a lot of meaning and a lot of grace. And um, she's just brilliant. Mm. So um, yeah, can you tell I have a bit of a crush I mean, on she's also, I also love Emma. She's just an all-round amazing human yeah. being. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and her like activism is amazing. And yeah. yeah, she's fantastic. So yeah, I definitely would like to to do all three. And I love um I love how much more room and much like much more space women are taking up in the industry as actors and as creators. Um in, in like in the sort of post kind of motherhood kind of um arena yeah but that space uh was yeah. I think beca- became much more dominated by men and I think women were taking back our space and I think mm. that I'm really excited that that's happening yeah so yeah more and more so yeah mm. oh, that sounds awesome yeah. um gosh I feel like we've covered all sorts of (laughs) things. I guess the last um, couple of questions. Have you met any heroes that you've struggled to speak to (laughs) or just been like, ah, oh my God, you're my hero. Yeah. Have you met Emma Thompson? Emma Thompson. (laughs) (laughs) I met her. I met her in a theatre foyer once and I felt like my tongue swelled up and I couldn't talk to her because I was just like, hello. I kind of like... I couldn't, my tongue went really dry and felt too big for my mouth, which is kind of gross. Yeah. And I think she probably thought I was quite a strange person. (laughs) And you were just there being like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, she's brilliant. How was it? Was it just awesome? Did you get to say all the things that you wanted to say and have a No. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, bye. Um, Yeah, I kind of, um, I kind of felt instinct to be like I shouldn't yeah. just gush all of my thoughts about her to no her. no um, yeah. yeah that'd be a restraining order on me now oh. probably. So I think she's brilliant yeah it's really weird to meet a true idol it's very strange yeah I remember I used to be a really big Kings of Leon fan <laughs> pre the third album the first two albums were great. Uh, okay but, <laughs> but I went to I went to see them at a concert and then we ended up meeting them in a restaurant Ooh. after and I just couldn't say anything like really? the guys I was with all went over hey we're from Ireland great to see you and I was like I just couldn't 
I had a King Lear t-shirt on. (laughs) (laughs) You just pointed at the t-shirt. Me, I love you. Sweet. You must get that now, I guess, from fans of the shows and stuff you've been on. That must be a bit odd. One time in Baltimore Airport, when I was very hungover, a man cried when I was trying to buy a cup of tea from him because he'd seen me in Salem. And I just was trying not to sick on or near because <laughs> I was just horribly horribly hungover but yeah I, I mean it doesn't happen very often and I think I'm very glad about that yeah <laughs> but that sounds yeah. so nice it must be I know it probably is a weird feeling but it must be such a humbling feeling mm. to feel like you've impacted somebody that much (laughs) (laughs) I think he was just he was a very emotional man but um, (laughs) yeah it's it's nice to feel like something has touched someone and has been meaningful to them yeah yeah Yeah. or entertained them or amused them yeah absolutely exactly has like changed their perspective or made them laugh or given them yeah, new emotions. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I like, I really like making people laugh. I think that's one of the things that I, I'm drawn to about with acting. Like, I often feel like a story is, even if it's a serious story, if you can make someone laugh while telling it, there's just something really special about that. And it will have more power, especially yeah. the kind of the serious message has more power if it's kind of carried with with humor so oh I like that yeah it's probably more memorable maybe it's more memorable in that way yeah oh yeah, I'd say it'll be interesting when your book comes out and is a bestseller. Mm. There'll be like <laughs> well, running over. Oh yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be yeah. Nice. I, I hope so. I'm hoping that that it encourages kids to to make stuff themselves because yeah. it's about people who make hats, and I really hope that kids will see the magic in creating. Creating, stuff. yeah. I must say, from a kind of creative crafting, you know, that's what we do. I loved, I loved that it was about crafting. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we should do a hat making like little workshop yeah, that would be awesome imagine yeah. make your own magical hat what would you do yeah and then oh you pick gosh, the ingredients so oh that's yes like, i'm it's gonna good. read this book when i when it was my <laughs> children i was like i feel like i this would also be for me <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so good i would also enjoy this and <laughs> our bonus question is mm. if you could if you had to with all this wisdom and like your perspective that you've shared with us, it's honestly been so, so amazing, especially hearing it from a sort of different point of view. We mainly have kind of business owners and entrepreneurs, but oh, hearing God. it from a, yeah, from an acting writer point of view. Um, mm. Yeah, it's been absolutely phenomenal. Oh, thank you guys. No, it really has. And and from your, I guess if, if all of this advice um, mm. was, wasn't here, Mm-hmm. And you had to recommend three books or podcasts or articles that have informed you with this perspective or has have really inspired you or, mm. you know, have changed your life. What would they be? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. That was the longest That was the longest I've ever heard. I know. I loved it. I was like, where's it going? I know. I was like, <laughs> I was just thinking, that, yeah, you just said so much good stuff. And I, oh, I just, I, I know loads of people will hear and be like, oh my God, that's really struck a chord with me. So I wonder what struck a chord with you. Yeah. Okay. Great question. Okay. So first of all, I would say um, there's this book called Women Who Run With The Wolves which is by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Um, it's like a very, it's very female kind of centric, mm-hmm. but I also, I've recommended it to, to men as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, it's, it's really brilliant. And she uses fairy tales um, and traditional folklore and, and stories to kind of illustrate points about the human kind of psyche and our creative lives and our creative um, cycle as well. Um, that's really, really interesting. And one of one of my favorite things about about 
her is just how she tells her story Mm. and and how she tells the stories that she uses. There is also, if you want to kind of have an introduction to it, I would say get the book on tape of it because it's kind of a condensed version of it, but it carries a lot of the same messages. The real, the the full book is massive and it took me six months to read it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, so I'd say maybe she has the most beautiful voice as well. And she reads her book. So I would say get the, um, the, the book on tape. That would be number one. Mm. Number two would be, um, TED Talks. I love TED Talks. Nice. Um, specifically, Brene Brown's. I'm sure you've heard yeah. this one. Um, the the power of vulnerability. Such a good talk. talk, and it really goes for. It goes to a sort of just a just a daily life kind of perspective, but it also goes right to the heart of what it is to be creative. I think mm-hmm. in any walk of life. Mm. Um, so I would say that. And then thirdly, I've got this quote. I actually found it. It's a Martha Graham quote. Martha Graham was an American dancer. Mm-hmm. You guys, do you guys know this quote? I'm about no. to read. No. Okay. So I heard this quote again recently and it is so good. I'm going to read it to you. It goes, there is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And there is only one of you in all time. This expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, not how it compares with other expression. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your own work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. No artist is pleased. There is no satisfaction whatever at any time. There is only a queer divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than the others. Oh, yeah. That's the quote. It's so good, isn't it? It just gives shivers down my spine hearing that. Yeah, she's so good. But I love the kernels that I love in that. The two kernels are like that your expression is unique Mm. and it's not our place to judge that. It's just our place to express it. Express it. Yeah. And you don't have to you don't have to be satisfied or actually personally, I think sometimes sort of satisfaction makes you a bit complacent. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. I think you stay hungry, stay foolish is, you know, that, is at the that. core of that. I yeah. really, what I loved about that is like that we're a vessel, mm. you know, we're a tool. Mm-hmm. So almost having that divine inspiration coming through us and then we ha- we're doing this, we're being of service to it. Yeah. And then therefore we always have to be open to it. So yeah, to your point, satisfaction probably closes that and you go, yeah. oh, no. Not doing any more, mm. rather than oh, I have a new calling, listening, inspiration, spark. Yeah, oh, to go do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, keep the channel open is what I yeah is that isn't it? Ah, I love that. Thank mm. you so is much. That, is Jansen. that from a book? Sorry, the quote, or is it just on their Instagram or something? <laughs> Martha Graham. I think she died in the uh, the nineties. Oh God. Um, <laughs> Well before Instagram. No way. It's Martha Graham. Um, So Google her and you will find much more about her. But she is, um, yeah, she was an American dancer. So I'm not quite sure whether that was in a speech or like a book or something. But but yeah, she's... um, You saved that down. Yeah, that's... Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You're Um, welcome. What is next for you? Where can people find you? Where can people find more about hat makers? Well, well, in fact, you can. <laughs> this is a shameless plug. You Please. can order, you can pre-order the hat makers yeah. now from the Puffin website. Um, I, um, I'm not sure when Carnival Row 
season two is coming out because COVID has obviously, you know, ruined everyone's plans. But um, hopefully that'll be out early next year or at least the first half of it. Um, And yeah, my book is coming out on the 7th of January. Nice. Part two. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, part one. Part one. Oh, sorry. Part one. (laughs) My book one. Yeah, first book. book. Yeah, Yeah, book one's coming out 7th of January. And then part two of Carnivore is coming out hopefully the first couple of months. I don't know when though. Do not quote me on that. <laughs> it's a really good date for a Christmas present, as in you <laughs> order it, and then it comes the week and a half later. And it's an extra yes. special gift for anyone yes. listening. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because you forget about all the ones you get on the day. It's the that, one that's a bit, little bit after that. Yeah, you really that you really Put remember. space, exactly. We'll it's share the links ordering. when we, yeah. Yeah, when we say, oh, thanks. send that's, out the podcast so people can guys. grab one. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. It's been so good talking to you guys. I know it's been so much fun. And yeah, I I think I have learned a lot and we'll go and write down a whole bunch of quotes. Lots of notes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, look at those. So how did the podcast go? What did you learn? If you'd like to find out more, check out creativejunglecompany.com or at creativejungleco on Instagram. You'll see our creative kits, previous podcast episodes, and all our blogs on creativity and creative thinking. If you'd like to leave a review, we'd very much appreciate it, but we really hope you have a colorful and creative week.